Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And um, like Tasha said, I am grateful. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be with you and to see so many um, faces, um, some of whom I haven't seen in quite a while. It's good to be together. It's truly good to be together. Um, This morning, as Tasha mentioned, we're going to be continuing our sermon series on baptism, uh, getting ready for our baptism on July 25th and also our all-church picnic that day. And so today we're going to read uh, the story of a very unlikely baptism, the baptism of a jailer who on the same night that he finds himself guarding Paul and Silas in a Roman prison ends up being baptized by them. So let's just jump right in and start uh, this passage in Acts chapter 16, uh, starting with verse 21. Sorry, verse 23. After Paul and Silas had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So let's just stop there. Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and they've cast out a demon from a slave girl who was making money for her owner by telling people's fortunes. Well, you can imagine the slave, the enslaved girl's quote unquote owner um, and how angry he was when he realized that he was no longer going to be able to make money off of this nefarious enterprise. And so he brings Paul and Silas to the authorities and he accuses them of throwing the city into an uproar and the authorities arrest Paul and Silas. But Paul and Silas are not just thrown into any old jail cell, like maybe one with a bed or a window or maybe even a TV. You see, there were three compartments in a Roman prison. The outer compartment, which was where there was light and fresh air. And then there was uh, an inner compartment, which was secured with iron bars and locks. And then there was the deepest and most secure part of the prison, which was essentially a dungeon. And that is where Paul and Silas were. They were in the innermost part of the prison, the high security part of the prison, and their feet were put in stocks. Now, stocks weren't just to keep them in place. They were actually designed as kind of a form of torture. They stretched your legs so that you were uncomfortable. Um, So they were probably also bleeding because they had been severely flogged, as we read. So essentially, when someone was thrown into the dungeon, they they were left to die. And that's where Paul and Silas are. So verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. This is incredible. Paul and Silas have been treated horribly and essentially left to die, but they aren't cursing God, and they aren't even cursing their captors. They're praying. I would love to have been a fly in the wall to have heard what they were praying. Were they praying for their captors. They were praying and singing. No wonder the prisoners in the other parts of the prison were listening. This was such a counterintuitive thing. Verse 26, let's continue to read. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
At once, all the prisoners, uh, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Well, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are all here. So picture this with me. Suddenly there's an earthquake and the doors of the cells are miraculously opened. People's chains fall off. The prisoners are set free. They're divinely set free. Uh, God has heard Paul and Silas's prayer. God has intervened. Let me ask you a question. If you were in a dungeon left to die and the doors miraculously opened and your chains fell off in an earthquake, seemingly by God's very own hand, what do you think you would do? I don't know about you, but I would probably run. This would be my escape. This is my out, I would be thinking. This is my chance. God has heard my prayers. God is setting me free. But what do Paul and Silas do? Do they run for their lives? Do they escape? No. They do something absolutely astonishing. They stay. They stay. Here's why. Because you see, in Roman society... The punishment of a jailer whose prisoner escapes was the punishment meant for the prisoner he was guarding. So if a jailer is guarding a prisoner on death row and the prisoner escapes, the jailer, the jailer, the guard, finds himself suddenly on death row. So Paul and Silas's um, escape would be the jailer's worst possible nightmare. If they run, they're essentially condemning the jailer to die. And they, they seem to know this. So they don't run. They stay. Uh, Jesus says in the Gospels, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And we see a picture of this here, don't we? Paul and Silas do all of this. And they do more. They actually put their lives on the line for a person who just moments ago held the power of life and death over this person. Talk about loving your enemy. Well, let's keep reading in verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and felt tre fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to, to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. I'm going to stop there for a moment. The jailer's conversion here is dramatic. In just a couple of moments, the whole orientation of his life has changed. His heart has been awakened to a completely new reality. He's experienced in the same moment the very raw power of God in an earthquake and the compassionate, sacrificial heart of God in Paul and Silas's selfless concern for him. He will never be the same. The jailer will never be the same. Do you notice that the, the jailer falls trembling before uh, them? This says so much because his posture here speaks of repentance. This is the fruit of his conversion. This is a sign that this is not a conversion in word only. This is a true and deep conversion of heart. 
Paul and Silas, oh, sorry, he asks Paul and Silas how he can be saved. His heart is no longer calloused and domineering, but humble and open and receptive. He acknowledges that he does not have a knowledge of God or of ultimate things, at least not a sufficient knowledge. And he allows, and this is what amazes me, he allows for the possibility that those far beneath him in society, his death row prisoners, might know something about God he doesn't, and maybe that he needs to know. And I think we have something to learn from this example. Is there someone in our lives who may be less esteemed by society, someone society has written off, and yet who might know something about God that we don't, someone that we could learn about God from? Here's what happens next, verse 33. Immediately, he, the jailer, and all his household were baptized. They were baptized. So let's talk just for a moment about the jailer's baptism. Why do you think this ritual, this act of being immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, why do you think that was important? What might baptism have meant for this jailer? How might it have helped him? You know, I think that baptism probably carried a multitude of depths of meaning uh, for the jailer in that moment and also for the rest of his life. And I hope that when we break off into small groups that you'll discuss some of those possible meanings because I believe there are many, many possible meanings of this baptism in the jailer's life. But I'll share just one thing that I imagine this baptism meant to the jailer. I imagine that for the jailer, a baptism laid a concrete foundation for his faith because, you know, his whole life had just crumbled. His whole orientation had, uh, had crumbled. His whole sense of what reality is had crumbled, and he was awakened to a new reality. It was a starting point. This baptism was a starting point for the rest of his life, for his new life as a follower of Christ. It marked a very real beginning. It signified that he had entered a completely new way of thinking, of relating, and of being in the world. And I think it probably served for the rest of his life as a reminder that he is no longer his own. He is Christ's. Christ has rescued him. You know, most of us who have been baptized probably were not baptized the same hour that we came to faith like the jailer was. And for many of us, coming to faith didn't happen in an instant like it did in his life. For many of us, coming to faith happened over the course of time. It was a journey. Um, I came to faith over the course of a summer, over the course of several months. And I wasn't baptized as an adult until uh, almost three years uh, later, almost three years after I had come uh, to faith in Christ. But even, um, even though I was um, well into my walk with Christ when I was baptized as an adult, I would still say that my baptism was a foundation for a life of following Jesus. It was a foundation for everything that still laid ahead for me. And it was, a, it was a marker, but it was also more than a marker. I would say, and I think Adam mentioned something about this a, a few weeks ago, baptism marks you. And I feel like baptism marked me. It helped me to know, not just in my mind, but in the depths of me, God's claim on my life, his love, the claim of his love on my life. As Paul says in Galatians, my, uh, my old self, sorry, um, 
My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I believe that that is a reality one comes to know at a completely new level after you go under the waters of baptism. So how does the story of the jailer end? Let's read verse 34. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole households. I love this picture of fellowship around a table. The jailer sits down with his prisoners, and the prisoners sit down with their jailer. And the jailer serves a meal to them. He serves a meal to those he has just been persecuting. And the persecuted, the prisoners, receive that meal. And they are reconciled to their persecutor. They're reconciled to the jailer. And now each of them, jailer and prisoner, belong equally to the family of God. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul, Silas, and the jailer, they share a common baptism, a baptism into the death and resurrection of Christ. And now they share a common joy, the joy that Paul and Silas expressed in their song when they were still in the stocks, that joy that would have seemed impossible to everyone around them suddenly is possible, and it has become the jailer's joy. May this joy also become our joy. May it be our joy. Let's pray. Loving Father, we stand in awe of who you are, all powerful and all loving. Thank you for the jailer's humility, that he humbled himself to learn of you from people society had written off. May we be a people who are open to learning about you from those who have something to teach us about you, even though society may have written them off, may have said they have no good thing to contribute. Lord, thank you for the jailer's humility in kneeling. May we be a people who are not too proud to kneel before the cross, our salvation the love that saves us. And thank you that the jailer rolled up his sleeves and served. May we be a people who, like the jailer, clean wounds and serve meals. And may we, as a people, be baptized into a shared joy, the shared joy of Christ. Amen. listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.